Our speaker today always reminds us that although it is what it is, that you truly have the power to change the seeds that you're planting, the words that you're speaking, and to create a whole new life experience. Will you welcome with me our very own spiritual director and maybe farmer, because he certainly teaches us how to plant a crop and to grow a harvest, our own Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning, in alignment with uh, our discussion from last week, exciting Father's Day to all of you. It's a beautiful thing to be alive, isn't it? So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to sing a song, it's really our song as a prayer. If you're here for the first time, we, you know what, I was thinking about this the first service, Where, when did we start doing this song? I don't even remember, it's been so long ago. It's a beautiful thing, this song, because it's a, it's a prayer. And I know many of you like to stand up, and that's an invitation, not a, a requirement, but if you'd like to stand, please feel free, and please stay seated. Let's sing a song and say a prayer. Let's sing a prayer, say a, say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love. And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room So know with me One life Perfect life God's life My life now And as I open to that in this moment In the sweetness of this present moment experience I know that my physical, spiritual and emotional Framework Is enlivened Reminded Beyond words but certainly in deep recognition and communion with spirit. So what I know for myself and my knowing for you as well is that everything important and right to inform me, to resource me and to guide me and to bring me to perfect peace in each moment is here now. That life is eternal and that this journey, uh, this celebration of this journey, that each and every one of us is equipped with everything necessary, that internal guidance system, I just give thanks for all the right things continuing to show up despite what they look like, informing and resourcing, guiding and nurturing. And I'm so grateful for free will and choice to decide in each moment how shall I use this experience and this information for the greatest 
greatest expression of life. For this I give thanks on this beautiful Father's Day. I give thanks for my father and all of the mentors that have blessed my life over the years and continue to do so. I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Thank you, Brown. All righty. I have all kinds of exciting stuff to share with you. I, want, I was thinking about uh, today preparing and, and putting information together that, that I, I felt had some significance and some um, higher purpose. And I started thinking about my father. And my father was, my father was a, a wonderful man. My father's gifts were, uh, I've, I've weaved him into the narrative over the years. And, I, and he was a wonderful influence on me. Uh, he was my inspiration to follow, go down the path that I'm, I'm currently on. And it wasn't because he was modeling any of this. But what he was indicating to me was a lot of struggle and a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. And I just knew that, Dad, I love you, but I don't think I want to do that. And there, I knew there had to be a different way. And, and I have great affection and appreciation for his good effort. And, and, uh, and it took a lot of work, my making peace and coming full circle in love with that idea. And his, his life is a blessing in my life. But what I know about people that mentor in my life, and, and, and I, I picked a few out today that I want to share with you that have been an inspiration. And, and I think that to watch other people's lives and to allow that to inspire us is just a great thing. John Bradshaw is someone that I found early in my journey, and he's a wonderful writer, uh, deep thinker, uh, presence on the, on the planet. Uh, his modality is psychology and spiritual psychology. But Bradshaw said that I need the model of ordinary people who do extraordinary things to move me to risk being extraordinary in my own unique way. I need the model of ordinary people who do extraordinary things to move me to risk being extraordinary in my own unique way. And I love, I love that. I appreciate that. Because that's, that's, for me, that's what helps shift and change my life experience. And I, I think that's true for all of us. We have had people in our lives that show up in many arenas. And I'm going to share a bit of that as, as I move forward today in the discussion. Carl Jung is someone who I have great affection for. And Carl was a, was a student and contemporary of Sigmund Freud. And, and he, was, he took Jung, uh, um, Freud's work and he, he built upon it. And there were certain things that Freud believed in that he didn't share. But Jung took it and he expanded the awareness and he expanded the information and started talking about the archetype. He started talking about the shadow. And he talked about the, the opportunities that are there for all of us. And it's wonderful work and it's had, it's had a tremendous influence. And on this Father's Day, one of the gems that I pulled out from Carl Jung was that the most, the, and I, I think this is so true for me, this is true for me, the most damaging thing to children is the unlived lives of their parents. The most damaging thing to, to children is the unlived lives of their parents. And fortunately, for whatever reason, with my father, and he lived his life fully, he did, it, he, he did the best he knew how with what he had. But his inspiration for me was watching the areas where he didn't live life fully. Uh, John Bradshaw says that we give uh, employees at Taco Bell more training and, and, and support than we do new parents. 
And having, and having been a parent and continue to be a parent, I would say that's true. I, you know, you kept looking for the instruction manual. And they just give you the baby at the hospital, say, here you go. Oh, okay, I guess I'm a parent now. You know, and then you spend the next 20 years working on it. And it is true. So one of the great, great mentors that we have in, in our movement, in our, the founder of, of religious science, was, was Ernest Holmes. And, and I, one of my favorite books is Ideas of Power, Volume 3. I don't know where Volume 1 and 2 are, but when I find them, I'll let you know. But Ernest had this to say, and I, I think it's, it's so important because here was, here's the guy, right? Here's, here's the guy that said, you know, here's the path. I mean, he pointed the finger and, and people all said, he pointed the index finger. I didn't mean he pointed the finger. But he pointed the, uh, and he said, go this way. Ernie said, I had to go away the last two weeks every day sometimes for a couple hours, to do what I, w- what I call putting myself back into myself. I met so many people and talked to so many people. And the uh, italicist says he was at the INTA Congress, which is the International New Thought Alliance Congress. He said, I, I, I met so many people and talked to so many people, I had to have my equilibrium and joy and peace of mind and balance and poise inside of me or else I get dragged apart or something. I don't know what happens, but it isn't good. It isn't good for anybody either. You can shatter anything. Walt Whitman said he liked to take time to loaf and invite his soul. To loaf and invite his soul. And we all ought to take time to loaf and invite our souls. So isn't that a, a wonderful idea? Now here, my dad never even mentioned an idea like this. You know, we were too busy shoveling the driveway most of the time in Minnesota. To loaf and invite our souls. A whole different framework and a whole place to loaf. And and my teacher reinforced this many, many times. I've been using the work of of Timothy Ferris over the last few weeks uh, and inspired by the four-hour work week. And last week I talked about this idea that that what do we want is not a big enough question. It's really about what brings us to life, what, what, what excites us. And Dr. Ernest Holmes said it's important that we live while we live. It's the only thing that's important is that we live while we live. Right now is so vitally important. Uh, Reginald, Reginald Armour, who was a, a pretty much Ernest's personal assistant, Ernest Holmes' personal assistant, said his feeling in describing Dr. Holmes is that his feeling at such times of meditation and communion, he said, could not be described in words. Those feelings convinced him, however, of the oneness of all things, the certainty of the fact that all people are divine beings and that every individual is immortal. So he was in this deep communication. He, he had to be in this deep communication in relationship with spirit to, to, to have imparted the information. And he's part, of my, he's part of my spiritual family. He's one of my spiritual fathers. He also said this. This is one of my favorites. This is Ernie. He said, It is around us in its original state, ready and willing to take form through the impulse of our creative belief. It works for us by flowing through us. We can use it correctly only as we understand it and use it accordingly to its nature. Hence, it follows that if we believe that it will not work, it really does work by appearing to not work. And when we believe it will not, then according to the principle, it does not. But when it does not, it still does. Only it does according to our belief that it will not. Isn't that great? So if we believe it doesn't work, it's working. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mentioned last week about a quote from 
Howard Thurman, and I brought it with me this week because I wanted to, to, wanted to share it with you. Howard said, don't ask, Howard Thurman said, don't, and he was um, Martin Luther King's uh, teacher, one of King's teachers. Don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do it, because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And this is exactly what Timothy Ferris is talking about. It's not what we want, it's what excites us. And he talks about that because most people, as he says, I don't even know in the book, he says, I don't know what I want. But if you ask me one specific goal, I can tell you. What do you want to do in the next six months? What do you want to do in the next 12 months? And this is the way the infinite works. If we understand what Holmes is saying, that we're immersed in it, and whatever we give it, it responds to in the affirmative. It always says yes to whatever we give it. And that's the challenge for us. See, the great gift of all the things I thought about Ernest over the last several days, and I thought, what is the one thing that just is the best thing from Ernest? And what Ernest did was he said to everyone, he said to me, which was a new idea for me at the time, because no one had ever said this to me with the clarity. But Ernest said, there's nothing wrong with you. See, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing broken. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. There's nothing. There is this infinite presence within all life, all people. It cannot be altered. It cannot be diminished. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing to fix. I thought, what a strange guy. Ernest doesn't know me. I'm the exception to the rule. <laughs> when, people come in, when people come into class, because we've had experiences, people will say, that's not right, because that doesn't feel right. What Ernest is telling you is, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me. What requires correction is our thinking. It's our thinking. And what I love and I'm so passionate about this teaching is it is always stretching me and it's always asking me for more and it's always keeping me on the green edge of growing. And whenever I'm suffering, whenever I'm in the pain, I, I don't get to blame anybody. I just simply get to stop. I get to go and quiet down and put myself back into myself and say, what's the... And it's all a gift. Fran, Fran Hodgson, I don't know if Fran's here today, she left me this beautiful thing under my door yesterday. And it talked about the great moments in life are not when we're always in the light. It's when we're coming out of the darkness back into the light. Isn't that so true? Isn't the great stuff, the great learning and the great insight when all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, I got to go put myself back into myself. See, this is what my father Ernest was talking about. He was my spiritual mentor. I never met him. He had passed away before I found this teaching. There's nothing broken. There's nothing that has to be fixed. There's just a different way of thinking to give birth to that new idea. And so when I look at Father's Day and I look at the great people and, I was in a, and I'm always in prayer. When I, when I get done with a talk on, on a Sunday and I'm in the back and I'm shaking hands with everybody, what you don't know for me is that I just know I'm done. That is everything I will ever say. That's everything I will ever know. Thanks for showing up. And then I sit there and I think about the next career I'm going to have while you're going out the door and thanking me. And then about Thursday... The download starts. It's like, oh, oh yeah, I'll go pick that book up. I guess you go look at that, and I should go look at that and look at that. So, you know, this week, same as every other week. And I had this amazing experience this week with a, one of my heroes. And I took some notes. So I watched a program on television probably five or six times. I, I uh, uh, recorded it. And there's a wonderful uh, interviewer that's on television. His name is Tavis uh, Smiley. Anybody watch Tavis this week? Anyway, if you ever see a show, he's very bright, very articulate, wonderfully insightful, and really um, 
not trapped in, in, a, in a, a mindset that, that is very popular right now. Um, so, but Tavis had Robert Kennedy Jr. on, Robert, Robert uh, Kennedy's son. And, uh, and the reason I wanted to share this with you is I'm, I'm a Canadian citizen and I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm a citizen of both countries, and I'm really proud of that. And when, um, uh, when he was talking, he, he made some wonderful insights, and it, it, it clarified some things for me that I'm aware of, but I didn't have words to express for a long time, living here and, and, and still being a, an American citizen as well and watching what's happening. But what Robert Kennedy Jr. has done, and this is part of his legacy, so let me back up a little bit and let me talk about Robert Kennedy, because what I know about him, and I've studied his life a bit, is that he was very devoted. He's the, he was the most loyal Kennedy. And when his older brother Joe was killed in World War II, he was flying a, a plane over Europe during the Second World War full of explosives, and they think it, it, it blew up accidentally. And then, of course, John Kennedy was assassinated. And Robert was, de- was completely devoted to his brother. Now, when these tragedies hit the family, Father Joe Sr. became very bitter, and he started to withdraw, and he started to churn and churn and churn in the frustration. And in fact, on the next page in this book by, by Dr. Holmes, he talks about that. And he, what he says is, if a person isn't happy, What is worthwhile? We ought to be happy. But how are we going to be well, happy, prosperous unless we believe in some fundamental things that we can prove and prove them right here and now, not in the by and by, not when we have shucked off this mortal coil right now. Whatever is true is true now. This is the time. We are the people. This is the day. You and I are the ones. Here is the the place right now. And what really, I think, resonates with me around this idea of, of Joe Sr. getting upset, he said... We can hate until it poisons us. We, it destroys the liver, creates inaction, and kills us. Then we may get a fresh start, and that, and, and that is all that death is, not to the soul, which lives forever. Browning said a man may desecrate that part, but he cannot lose it. So you see, I do not have an equal freedom to hate. I have the possibility of hating for a short time. So this was Ernest's awareness. He said, Emerson said, nature forevermore screens herself from the profane. So what happens and what he's saying is that when we go into the anger and the bitterness and we stay there, we cut ourselves off, we restrict ourselves from life. What a beautiful thing. So we're not punishing anyone, we punish ourselves. So Joe, Joe Kennedy got bitter. And what Rose Kennedy did, because she was very devoted, she went to her spiritual fountain and she prayed. And Robert went there with her. Robert was very much devoted to his mother and her faith. And so Robert's experience and what shaped him as he started to move into the political arena was this, this idea of a bigger idea for everyone. And so when Robert Kennedy Jr. was on Tavis Smiley the other day, he is now, his work is he's an environmental advocate. And he's incredibly well read. And it's always a wonder to me, and I appreciate so much someone that has information and is articulate and can, can explain the chronology of what has, has transpired. And what he's doing right now is just, he just did a film. The film is called, a movie called The Last Mountain. And he's been working in West Virginia. And West Virginia is in the southeast United States, and it is the richest. He said when his father was talking, and his father, Robert Sr., would go to West Virginia, and he would work with the people down there. There was strip mining going on. And they were trying to find a way to help these people, because what was happening is they were, the corporations were stripping the countryside of everything. 
And he said to his son, he said, Robert, what you need to know is this is the richest resourced state in the union. Of all the 50 states, this state has, it has, it's full of coal, it's full of a lot of valuable minerals, but primarily coal. And he said, it's interesting because it's the richest state and they are the poorest people. They're 49th on the scale of income. And so he said what's happened, and this is his life and part of his legacy and part of the nurturing from his father. And he said what happens is that when the, domi- when the, the, the domination of business by government is called communism, and the domination of government by business is fascism, when business takes over government, everything becomes a commodity. And so what's happened in, in the United States, and he's, he's talking about this, and it's happened before, and I don't think it's too late. This has a happy ending. But what he, what he reflects is he realizes he wants to be somewhere where he can be the most effective. And he said, what's, what's happened in the United States, and I can speak as an American citizen, and I'm proud of that country, and I, I love the people, and, and I will always carry my dual citizenship. But what's happened there, he said, if you look at the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court influences a lot of decisions, he said, whenever it's an individual in this court, in the mindset, whenever it's an individual against government, the government wins. Whenever it's an individual fighting the corporation, the corporation wins. Whenever it's government fighting corporation, in this particular case, he said, you can go back through every judgment this group has has, uh, um, sent down, the corporation wins. And it's just the mindset, it's what's happened now. And so he said that in, in, in West Virginia, 500 of the most beautiful mountains are gone. They go in and they take it. And, and we don't know this. And I'll tell you why we don't know this. In 1986, Ronald Reagan repealed the Freedom Act. And what the Freedom Act was, it was instituted in 1929. And what it said was, you can have broadcast rights. You can have a radio station. You can have a television statement. You can have a, 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 a newspaper. But part of what you do has to serve the public good, and part of what you do has to support democracy. So that's why when you're listening to music, sometimes they stop and they do music. I mean, they do, they do the news. They don't do the news because they want to. They do the news because they have to. It's required. So it's a good rule. Well, Reagan came along in 86, and he wanted to pay back the people that helped get him elected, which was the Christian right. And they're wonderful people. This is not a criticism. What they looked for is an opportunity, and they wanted to have power, and they wanted to have influence. So they decided that what they wanted to do, and their goal at that time, was to dominate AM radio. There's now 14,000 AM radio stations in the United States, and they're all controlled by five corporations. When the Freedom Act was, was instituted, it said you couldn't incorporate around us. In fact, it was strengthened in 1944 because they watched what happened in Germany. In Germany, when Hitler was starting out, 1% of the population supported his political party. And then what they figured out is who to influence and who to support and how to influence the media. And so they saw that and they said, we need to make sure this doesn't happen here. So Reagan repealed that. And so he said, what has happened now is that the corporations control, and this is, this is going on today, and I think it's just important to share this information because as, as, as thinkers, it's important for us to know this. What Robert Kennedy Jr. said is that in the United States right now, because there's 14,000 radio stations informing everyone, and what they do is they appeal to that reptilian brain that likes the titillation and likes the gossip. So that's what the news is. He said, we are the most entertained and the least informed of any generation that has ever lived on the planet. And it's true, if you look at it. So, so what, what has happened now is that Obama got in, Obama wanted to do Obamacare, and he wanted single-payer, which single-payer does work. It's a quarter of the cost. 
And they voted that down and they watered it down because he said what, the other thing that happened a year ago is there's a tsunami of money that has entered into the political arena in the United States and it is controlled by the corporations. And he said, so when you go to Washington, because Tavis Smiley said, why don't you run for office? And he said, because I have friends in office and it is a wall and nothing happens because the corporations control all this and it's, it's, it's influence. And so Tavis said, well, what do we do? Because this sounds pretty depressing. And I was getting depressed listening to this. And he said, well, Martin Luther King said that the tools of advocacy are this. Agitation, legislation, litigation, education, and he said, and I would add innovation. So you have all this big coal money. They have ravaged the state of West Virginia. He said it will never be able to recover the way it is right now. All the resources have been stripped and the people are left with nothing. They have, he said, if they, if they did in California or New York State what's been done in West Virginia, they would lock them up forever. 25,000 miles of, of rivers have been buried. It's, it has just devastated this. But he said what he's, he's pouring his energy into is a, is a company. There's a company right now in California. It's called BrightSource. And they are building a 2.7 gigawatt plant. And it is a solar plant to capture energy. He said it takes three years to build it. It's $3 billion. And he said if we could, and, and it works. The technology is there. It works. And what it would take, he said, is we could t- switch over the entire United States in three years to this whole system. And he said the beautiful thing is once it's up and running, it doesn't cost anything. It takes 10 years to build a coal plant, and it costs the same amount of money to build the solar plant. It takes, it takes 30 years to build a nuclear plant. I don't know if you noticed what happened in Japan a few months ago. But the idea is there. The idea is there. And so he said, what's going what's to save and turn this around is eventually this innovation is going to click. And then all of this special interest money is not going to have the influence it has. And, and for me, when I heard him, him speak of this, I was inspired. Because he said, what's going what's to change this is a new idea. And I look at his father's legacy. I look at and, and his mother nurturing him and, 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 and what has come out for this man. Because what he wants to do, he said, I want to have an impact. They said, well, you know, Tavis kept pressuring him. Why don't you run for office? He's extremely educated and extremely articulate. When we, when we see, and it's, it's given birth to a new idea. And I know that we are a, we are a natural resource driven economy here. But it's just a bigger idea, and we'll have an opportunity to find other ways to direct our energy. We always do. It's the nature of us. We're going to find other things to pour our energy into. When, when, uh, when one of the things I love about, uh, about uh, Timothy Ferris, he talks about the, the Wilfredo Pareto's 80-20. Wilfredo Pareto, 1848 to 1923 is when he lived. And he said that 80%, Pareto's law can be summed up as the following, 80% of outputs result from 20% of inputs. 80% of consequences flow from 20% of causes. 80% of results come from 20% of effort and time. 80% of company profits come from 20% of products and customers. 80% of all stock market gains are realized by 20% of the investors and 20% of individual portfolios. 20% of our group here supports 80% of what we do. 
It's just the way it works. This is the, law, this is the universal law. He said sometimes it's, it's skewed in certain environments. He says sometimes it's 90-10, sometimes it's 95-5, sometimes it's 99-1. It's not uncommon. But the minimum ratio is 80-20. So he asked the question, which 20% of sources are, are causing 80% of my problems or unhappiness? Which it's good to know. It's good information to have. Which 20% of sources are resulting in 80% of my desired outcome and happiness? So if we understand what activities provide the greatest happiness, the greatest excitement in our life, we can grow that. And what, what Robert Kennedy Jr. is talking about here is he's looking at the world. He said, you know, when you have clean, available source of energy, it changes everything. The same can be true of what's happening with the medical profession right now. There are things happening in nanotechnology with medicine that are revolutionizing the me- medicine. And what's going to happen in the United States, the, the, uh, so much money goes into resources. What if we really lived these principles and we really, really got it so that we honored our physical body and we ate well and we took care of ourselves well and our thinking in a way so that we're not stressed and we're not anxious and we're not walking around angry, but when we get upset, we have the experience and we have the tools in our toolbox to say, now we can do this. What's wanting to happen here rather than stay stuck? These are the questions I ask myself. You, whether they pertain to you or not, I'm just having a discussion with myself up here anyway. <laughs> but Holmes was right. It, takes, it is around us in its original state, ready and willing to take form through the impulse of our creative belief. It works for us by flowing through us. We can use it correctly only as we understand it, and that's why we do classes here. Because this is not easy stuff to understand, believe me. I'm still getting it. It follows that if we believe that it will not work, it really does work by appearing to not work. And when we believe it will not, then according to the principle, it does not. But when it does not, it still does, only it does occur to our belief that it will not. So, one of my favorites. But the inspiration of Robert Kennedy and his son and his, and his courage to stand up and say, and so what, how do we fix this? And this, is, and this is hopeful too, and I want to share this with you because this is one of the reasons I'm so excited about, about this information for myself. And it gives me my, some perspective on the differences in cultures. But he said, what you need is you need, an informed, you need an informed public. And you need to have reporters because what's happened in the United States, you now have five corporations that control the information. And all the investigative reporters have been fired because you don't need that when you're hearing about Charlie Sheen. I know more about Charlie Sheen than I ever hoped to know. And I love Charlie Sheen, and I wish well. And, I, and his family, I, just, I think of his mom and dad. You know, being a parent, I'm like, oh, I wonder what his dad's thinking right now, because I love his dad. But you know what? I had no clue that, that, that 500 mountains in the last 10 years have been destroyed in West Virginia. 500 mountains. No one said anything about it. until I'm going to go see this movie, because I want to know, because I want to be informed. And the beautiful thing about Canada, and the beautiful thing about Europe, there's still a Fairness Act. I could never figure out until I saw this yesterday why Fox News, and, I'm, and I mention them because they're the most prominent, and, and I offer them my love. But Fox News is not in Canada. If you go through the cable thing, you can't find Fox News. You have to order it special. I've never done it. But I see it there. And the reason is that they're not allowed here. And the reason they're not allowed here is because there's still a Fairness Act in Canada, which says you cannot go on the public airwaves in any fashion and lie. Yeah. 
Robert Kennedy, Robert Kennedy Jr. said that when you allow your government, which has happened, the, the people in the United States got scared, and this is what happens when fear it takes place. I'm saying this from observation, but I think it needs to be said. When you allow people to take citizens and take them somewhere else and torture them for information, when, you, when a bill of rights gets thrown out the window because people are scared, it's, you cannot afford that. It cannot happen. It cannot, it, it, it's too expensive, and it's not what that country stands for. And it's happened before there, and I, and I believe, my knowing and my belief is that those voices are still alive, but we need to hear them. I don't want to be entertained anymore. I want to be informed, and I want the right information to show up, and I want to take my precious thinking, and I want to pour it into that 20% that produces the 80% of the wonderful results that I stand for. I want to support the people of West Virginia because... We might have a border, but we're all on this planet together. Martin Luther King said we can live together like, as brothers and sisters or we can die together as fools. And whenever it gets out of balance, and this is our call, and Robert Kennedy Jr. said we must walk that narrow pathway between both of them. Because there's nothing wrong with business. But when business starts to influence government as it has, and that's the culture there, and when information gets shut down as it has, that's the culture there, everything, people shut down, they stop thinking. That's what I love about this teaching. That's what I love about Dr. Ernest Holmes. He never stopped growing. He never stopped thinking. He never stopped asking the best of himself. He said, what wants to happen here? And I, I'm sitting there in prayer wanting to have something on Father's Day to, to speak of that, that, that I'm excited about. And I heard, I, Laura watched me watch this over and over again. I, I just kept drinking it in because there were so many nuances to it. You know, we talked about the cost of bringing oil back from the Middle East. And it takes the U.S. Navy to bring it back and escort it safely. He said, we dig holes in the ground over there, and there's these sheiks that hate us and don't respect the system. That we're, we're, and, and, the, and their people don't like them either. And we're, and we're supporting them because we need the oil. And it's a condition. But it doesn't have to be that way. But we have to be willing to stand up. So when you see someone talking about getting rid of this Fairness Act in Canada, you have a little more insight what happens and what it leads to. It was put in place over 100 years ago. They just repealed last year, they repealed, the, the, the Supreme Court in the United States repealed this restriction on corporate money going to political campaigns. And Robert Kennedy Jr. said, this is the end of democracy in this country. He said, you will, you will, this wave, this tsunami of money will influence it. And he said, it's over. But it's happened in the past. It happened in the late, 19, early, or late 1800s. And he said, a few people stood up. I'll never forget reading The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but he went in and he worked in the Chicago packing plants for two years to write this book. And I remember reading it in high school, and I was outraged. I was appalled at the conditions. It was a true story. And Upton Sinclair wrote that book, and a few other journalists started to have a voice, and people became outraged by the injustice of, this, of that, that particular environment. And it led to change. And then T T Teddy Roosevelt showed up, and he put restrictions on corporation. Because unbridled greed is unbridled greed, and we all need people, we all need boundaries to play in. So I'm just saying, and, and this is our opportunity. So if we, we, it's important for us to stay awake. It's important for us to do this work. When John, uh, John Kennedy was assassinated, Robert Kennedy did this amazing speech. And he talked about how easy it would be for, for people to, uh, I'm sorry, when, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, he did this beautiful speech to a, a, an interracial group. Blacks and whites had come together. And they didn't know anything about it. And he said, I need to tell you something. 
And it was beautiful and it was eloquent. And he talked about, I too have lost a member of my family due to violence. And what he said at the end of it, he said, let's dedicate ourselves to what the Greeks wrote so many years ago. To tame the savageness of man and make gentle the life of this world. Let us dedicate ourselves to that and pray for our country and for our people. Exciting Father's Day.